go out to the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Let's talk to our buddy James Rapine, joining us here at 92.3 The Fan. James, how are you tonight? I'm well, JP. How you doing? I'm good. So, uh, I don't know if you heard the clip or not coming in, but Ken and Anthony were talking about Taylor Swift. Have you gotten your tickets yet for Cincinnati? I do not have a ticket, and I oh, I think uh, I think no. I'm going to be missing it. Oh. She she hasn't called me back. She hasn't returned my call. It's been a big, pretty big moment. <laughs> that, well, that fractures a relationship if they don't return calls. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty heartbroken. You yeah. know, hopefully, hopefully, I at least get a song, a tribute, something. I you but, think uh, when she I takes the stadium, at, what is it called? Paycor now? What is it? What is it called? Yep. Yeah, Paycor. She'd be like. Congrats! I'm happy to be here, the home of James Rapine and Joseph Burrow. Thank you, Cincinnati. That's kind of the expectation, so we'll see if she delivers. Man. Hold not hope, JP. It's the newborn, isn't it? Is the newborn the reason why you uh, you didn't end up going or what? Uh, Yeah, that's part of it. The other part is Ticketmaster. Um, well, I don't know. You guys might be running Ticketmaster promos. So Ticketmaster is yeah. great. But uh, thank you for that save. Yeah, Glove stick and a save. Nice it job. Didn't, it didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you tried. You know what? At least you tried. I, I can appreciate that. Uh, you know, we have a we have a young producer here at the station now. Uh, you have not met him. His name is Jake. But his his uh, fiance and his sister went to the the Detroit concert, and they went for two days. And Jake's getting married in like six months or something. And uh, it turns out. He like he, he couldn't convince his fiance and sister to sell the tickets for both nights. They had four tickets for the one, they had two for the other. I was like if we looked online, it's like thirty five hundred dollars a pop. Just insanely expensive right now. See, yeah, that's a, I haven't looked. I've heard how crazy the, the ticket prices are. So that's why I'm still holding out hope that, you know, she's just gonna come through, call me the day of and say, James, I would love for you to come to the concert. So I think that's more likely than me spending $3,500 on a concert. I'm not I mean, going to lie to you. You could buy a ticket with the expectation that Joe Burrow is going to be there and then uh, report on Joe Burrow being there and expense that. See, that's just big brain stuff. <laughs> yeah, report on Joe Burrow. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I mean, I guess I could try to sell that. Or uh, I could pretend that I'm Trent Taylor and that I just <laughs> need to go get a lift in. And, uh, you know, it's just all part of my training regimen. I, I don't think any of them are going to work, unfortunately. No, no. It's nice to hear your <laughs> voice, though. I haven't heard your voice in a little bit there, except for when I'm watching uh, random TV uh, in the sunroom, and then you just you just pop up. Well, it's not random. It's the, it's a channel that I turn. Anytime I turn my TV on, it always goes to that channel. You guys know out there what channel I'm talking about. And then every, every like, three months, it feels like, James's face pops up, and then I take a photo of it, and I send it to you, and it makes my day. Uh, and I'm really happy about that. But you're always talking about the Bengals, and sometimes you sprinkle a little bronze as well. And I had a caller a couple days ago, and I've just been thinking about it ever since. The caller called in and made the case to me, James, that he was not scared of the Bengals in the slightest bit. He's like, we own the Bengals. We got the Bengals number. I was like, right, hey, hey, Halloween night went great. There's no doubt about it. But 23-10 yeah. to 10 in the second game kind of erased that a little bit. You laugh. You laugh with reason, I imagine, James. Well, yeah. I mean, own the Bengals. It's that's fine. <laughs> you can own the Bengals. They've still won the division back to back years. Like it, it to me, the Browns shouldn't care about the Bengals. They need to to worry about finding a way to get into the postseason because anything less, I think, up there, considering their moves this off season and the past couple, would be considered a failure. Am I wrong about that? Yeah, it's playoffs or bust. No doubt about that. Yeah, and so who cares if you beat the Bengals or not? That's that's kind of irrelevant. Like I, 
I think the Bengals are thinking about the Browns because it's the first game on the schedule, but Joe Burrow has one win against them, but he's not staying up at night because of the Browns. He's thinking about bigger things, and I think the Browns probably are too because they're trying to win a division. That Have they won? They've never won the AFC North, so that's uh, that's something that they're trying to do. 89, yeah. Um 89. Yeah. No AFC North in 89. No, I know. 89's the last time they won the division, though. That's why I was like, uh, I, I was I born. You. I was born that year in 89, James. I was, was, a long, <laughs> I was, was not. That was a long time ago, man. It's a long time ago. You know, you know who else was born in 1989? Taylor Swift. Why I'm gonna, yes. Taylor Swift. Look yes. at that. It's funny how I know all the people that are my age. Like, Kevin Love is my age. Like, I, it's funny. You have, you have that same thing as well. <laughs> They're like, Rory McElroy is my same age. Like, it's, it's weird how that works. The people, the, the athletes and people in notoriety that are my same age, I just, I know who you are in life. That's pretty good. I don't know if any good athlete was born in 1991. I'm just realizing. <laughs> like, no one's coming to mind. Just no one's gap. coming to mind right now, JP. Oh, my God. That's okay. It happens. <laughs> it just skipped a year. Uh, I think the schedule, by the way, I think the schedule was what makes the Bengals conversation fascinating because it's the end. Of, it could be one of two things, right? At the end of the season, that game might mean the world. It might mean absolutely nothing, but that'll be at the very, very end. But the the first game, what I find fascinating about it is that we have a brand new defensive coordinator in Jim Schwartz, and yep. with Deshaun Watson in this new offense that Kevin Stefanski is uh, promising us. You really basically have no film to go off of if you're Cincinnati to try to game plan for the Browns. So I feel like we'll have the best sneak attack you possibly could have in taking on Cincinnati. No doubt. I think that is a, a big edge. You know, you have Jim Schwartz. You have a new-look defense. It, it's it's revamped. And, you know, you have from back end with the addition of Thornhill to obviously the defensive front and, and what they were able to do there, adding multiple pieces and and. Schwartz is the biggest piece, I would say, honestly, because he's been there, done that, and he's a veteran defensive coordinator that you know is capable uh, of leading a defense to Super Bowl wins. And so, yeah, I think uh, that, that's going to be tough. And, and the good news, I would say, is Burrow and the Bengals, they are good at pivoting and in, in adjusting mid-game offensively, but that is a challenge. And the other part of it, it's going to be crazy up there. September, Cleveland, all the hype. It's it's going to be an electric environment. I'm really looking forward to it. It's uh, it's going to be a good game. But yeah, I, I agree. I think if there was an advantage going into that one, it's uh, it's favorable towards the Browns because of the unknown and the the different things they could throw at the Bengals that the Bengals might just not be prepared for because there's not much out there. James, I was reading an article on, on CBS Sports, and they were doing the best quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end trios, and the wide receiver, tight end were grouped together, right? And I was thinking mm-hmm. instantly, I thought to myself, I was like, uh, the Bengals, if this was last year, they they had a very good case for that, right? You know, Burrow, Chase, and Mixon. This year, not so much. What's going on with the running back room? Mixon's, you know, still in town. They're, you know, still on the team. I. I think he's going to be on the team. Like it's a long shot now after a lot of speculation. At the same time, are you really going to pay him that money? You look around the league. Dalvin Cook cut, and it doesn't look like he's getting signed anytime soon. Aaron Jones had to restructure his deal. We'll see what happens with Derrick Henry in Tennessee. But Leonard Fournette was cut. Like a lot of those running backs from that 2017 draft. Have uh, have been cut. Austin Eckler couldn't get a, a deal, a, a long term deal that he was looking for from the Chargers. So, the running back market in general is down, 
And Joe Mixon's production was down last year. You have the off the field question mark still. And so that's why we've talked about it a ton. It's been arguably the biggest topic of the off season, but he's still on the roster, showed up for the off season program, looked good. Like I, I think he's in good shape and moving well and all of those things. So we'll see. But as of now, I think he's going to be the starter and yet it'll still be a committee with Travion Williams and Chase Brown, their fifth round pick behind him. I would still probably go out and try to add a veteran. Even if you do keep Mixon, we'll see if the Bengals do that. But uh, as of now, I would say Mixon's the lead back. You know, they did not release the, the top six teams for this. I'm curious to know, and I was thinking about it earlier, it's it's not an easy question. So if you have to be like, hey, I pass on this question, that was how you put me on the spot like that. Uh, but you're you're quick on your feet. You can figure it out. Uh, who do you think would be the NFL's best quarterback, running back, wide receiver trio? Because the running back situation is what makes this all tough, right? Like instantly, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, all right, well, you, it can't be Kansas City because I'm not putting Isaiah Pacheco in that run game. I'm not I'm not making that number one. I don't think the Eagles. I'm not making that one with Swift as the running back. I'm not doing it there. San Francisco would be a good candidate, but their quarterback situation. I can't I can't make Brock Purdy be the number one on this. The Bills would be ideal as well, but they don't have a running game in my estimation. Like, it's really hard, and it's amazing that in, in talking about this, just how hard it is to really link together those three positions. You're right. It is tough. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking of the top running backs, and they've questioned, you know, Saquon, well, it's Daniel Jones, so you're not going there. <laughs> right, yeah. Derek Henry, it's Ryan Tannehill. Nick Chubb, say what you want but it's still a question mark with Deshaun Watson. And by the way, I, I do think Nick Chubb is probably at the top of that list if I was taking running back right now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think uh, that's tough. I, I haven't seen this article, so I don't know. I, I'm really trying to think here. I, I, I still think that you would go with the top quarterbacks, like the, the, the position weight. So I still think even with Mixon, a, a Burrow, Mixon, Chase would still be pretty high. Not one, but would still be pretty high. You could make the argument for Watson, Chubb, Cooper to be pretty high as well. Um, who was one? No, they haven't done the final six yet. They haven't done. And then oh, Browns. Browns, by the way, it. the Browns came in at fourteenth. Okay, and that can skyrocket. Like if Watson is twenty twenty or twenty nineteen to Sean Watson, it it completely changes. Like all of that changes uh, the the rankings and the feel for the Browns and all of those things. I just think people need to see it, which you know he needs to show it. And then if if we see it, I think we'll adjust accordingly. It's too incredibly tough, James. It's it's, it's kind of why this off season's been it's been so hard to do these shows day in day out. I love doing them, but it's been hard because every conversation just goes back to well, if Deshaun Watson is great, then none of that will matter, you know. And it, and it's just like okay, yeah. how do you do sports talk radio that way? But but okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's it. Right. I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to. You know, if, for example, you mentioned the Bengals play the Browns in week one and in week 18. All right. Well, let's say there's a lot uh, on the, uh, on the line in week 18. Well, does Burrow outplay Watson or does Watson outplay Burrow? Because that's probably going to decide the game. And that's usually what it comes down to in those games. And the Browns have had, had some success at slowing Burrow down, forcing turnovers, limiting that offense. And that's why they've had success against them. So usually it comes down to quarterback play, which is, is fortunate if you have a good one. If not, and you're Ryan Tannehill or you're Daniel Jones or someone like that, then you don't feel as good about it. Other AFC North question. Lamar Jackson says he's going to throw for 6,000 yards. That's obviously insane. <laughs> but are you, are you buying into uh, passing quarterback Lamar Jackson? 
Yeah, I think he can do that at a, at a reasonably high level. Now, does that mean he's going to be Joe Burrow? No. But Deshaun Watson has a passer than Joe Burrow, even when he's been a passing quarterback. And I, I think that's the thing is stylistically it's okay if he's not that. But he needs to be enough of a passer where he can stay healthy and save that talent, that special running ability for when they really need it and keep defenses honest. And I think that's as big of a factor as any. And, and so we'll see. But, no, I, I believe in Lamar Jackson. I still wonder about the weapons, though. Uh, did did they fix the weapons there? Because he got a thirty-year-old coming off two of surgeries. Yeah, yeah, thirty-year-old coming off two yeah. surgeries. Uh, Nelson Aguilar, Bateman. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that doesn't seem great to me. Uh, a small I, I, like, I like Zay Flowers. I, I do like him though. I like Flowers. I, I like him, but is he your one or is he a three? Yeah, if he's your one, you got a problem. Is, is Odell your one or is he a two and a half? <laughs> like it's easy to say. Oh, the last time we saw Odell, he was putting up numbers against the Bengals in the Super Bowl. That's fair. Cooper Cup was on the other side. Yeah, but that's that's a big difference. I mean, he was the best receiver in the league that year and unguardable. And so, yeah, I, we'll see. I, I, that's the part I question. But overall, I think Todd Munkin was a good hire, and, and Lamar Jackson. I'm not going to count him out. Now he needs to find a way to stay healthy. But we've seen him pass the ball. It's just it's going to be. Unique. It's going to be Lamar Jackson passing the ball. It's not going to necessarily look like Burrow or Josh Allen or insert, you know, Patrick Mahomes or whatever quarterback you want to name. All right, James, last one. You got to eat dinner with one person that is an athlete or celebrity born in 1991. The list is as followed. I'm going to give you the names, okay? All these people are born in 1991, the year you were born. Got it. Mike Trout, Shailene Woodley, Emma Roberts. Aaron Donald, Derek Carr, Kawhi Leonard. Oh, my God. Kawhi Leonard would be the most boring dinner ever. <laughs> he would just laugh at a really oh funny God. Kawhi we would just be We would just be on our phones the whole time. <laughs> Board man, don't I, I'd, probably, I'd probably be like, hey, Jonathan, can you have me on? I'm having dinner with Kawhi Leonard. This stinks. Oh. Aaron Donald would be my answer, I think. I think Aaron Donald would be – yeah, I uh, – Obviously, they had joint practice last year with the Bengals, and he was walking out to the Bengals' practice field, and he was inside the stadium. And it was the way the sun was shining. I'll never forget this. I took a quick video of him. He looked like Thanos after he had all of the Infinity Stones, and it was just ridiculous. So he he looks like a supervillain or superhero, depending on which side you're on. (laughs) So, yeah, Aaron Donald would be my pick. Yeah, he's got to be the most fun. How do you have Kawhi and then Mike Trout, two of the most boring superstars we've had in in recent sports history? I mean, Shailene Woodley would probably have been second, just to be clear. For the Aaron Rodgers gossip? Yeah, I guess so. And then maybe I can have her call Aaron, and then Aaron can connect with Taylor Swift, and I could get tickets. You know, I'm trying, man. It's all coming together. Different ways. James, uh, can you plug your various things? I need you to plug your things here quickly. Yeah, the Life on Bengals podcast, allbengals.com, and Cincinnati Bengals talk on YouTube. Love it. Thank you, James. Appreciate you as always, man. Uh, We'll catch up later. Sounds good. Thanks, JP. Uh, good stuff right there with our buddy James Rapine on the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. We're coming back. I want to hear from you guys. Two one six four seven four to below ninety two. Browns versus Bengals. Are you scared of Cincinnati? Didn't make me feel any better talking to James when it comes to that side of things. But they've been confident for the past two seasons now. We'll do it next. It's overtime with Jonathan Peterson here with you on the fan.
Friday, back at a year on the fan. It is overtime with Jonathan Peterman. You know, that's a really tough question. I'm going to ask Mike Gold Jr. that when he joins us later on in the program. And we'll get to the Browns-Bengals thing in a second, but uh, CBS Sports had theirs out. The Browns are at 14th for a quarterback, running back, wide receiver, slash tight end trio. You got one from each. And I really, I don't, I genuinely don't have a good answer. And the, the funny thing about it is that every team you look at, it kind of, you can kind of poke hole with, with something. Like San Francisco, for instance, I can't possibly, I can't make Brock Purdy as team number one. I just, I can't find my way to do that, even if they have the running back wide receiver combo that most teams are missing. Most teams in this conversation, though, are missing the running back part of this equation. But that's when you have guys like Dalvin Cook, who are one of the best running backs in the game, and they're just not even on a team right now. You're going to have these type of problems pop up. I really am. I'm fascinated to find out what Mike Gold Jr. thinks. That is a very tough on-the-spot question. There's no doubt about it. Browns are at 14, and what I thought was fascinating was that the article said... And they couldn't really put him any higher because of Deshaun Watson, and I tend to agree with that. Not that they're 14th, but the logic behind them being in that spot, because I can't necessarily put them... When I rank quarterbacks, I can't rank Deshaun Watson. I don't know what to do with that. I just flat out don't know what to do. So I understand why it'd be tough for anybody trying to put together a rank. It's how I feel about Russell Wilson in Denver, too. Now, Russell Wilson in Denver last year, I thought, had all sorts of problems... I think this year is going to go a little bit better for him because I, I feel like you got Sean Payton and a new head coach, and it's a it's a different situation. But even still, how do you project out Russell Wilson at this point? Same thing with Deshaun Watson. Same exact thing. But asking you guys, 216-474-0092, are you scared of the Bengals? And the real Xavier P chimes in on Twitter. Twitter reactions powered by Shop and Jewelers, Cleveland's premier jewelry store. Says, no team scares me. He says, respect them, but beat them. I trust Watson is the best quarterback or 1A slash B in this division. So it's whatever, whoever. Bengals don't respect us, and that's why we beat them. So I see the trend continuing. Yeah, I went back and I, you know, I was looking at some of those games from last year, and I was at the Halloween Monday night football game. I was in person, watched that whole thing go down. That was the best Browns game of the season, in my estimation. Find me a better Browns game than that one. The only debatable one you could say, and I think maybe 15 years from now would trump it. Actually, this is a great debate. I don't know why we didn't ever have this at the end of the season. Maybe it's because when the end of the season goes poorly, nobody wants to relitigate the uh, the season and how it went down. Michael, I'll ask you this. Which Browns game do you think was more impressive last year? The Monday night beatdown of the Bengals, the team that ended up in the AFC title game, or beating Tom Brady in his final season in that game against Tampa Bay? I'm going with Tom Brady only because at this point, uh, and maybe it's like this underlying bias that like the Bengals just don't feel like quite the, uh, the tall task that they, like how they match up to other teams wow. because the Browns have had their number. So you feel this way too. You do? It's okay. I mean, I would have to go back and see the specifics of each game. Well, I, I mean, I can tell you what happened. Uh, we beat Joe Burrow five straight times until the last game where they won 23-10. And, and if you really want to dive into that game, Michael, Browns had 98 yards worth of penalties, and they had two big important penalties that put the Bengals on the board in the first quarter. Deshaun Watson threw a fourth-quarter interception that was pretty ugly, and that was basically your ball game. It was It was a bunch of penalty yards. It was the Watson interception. We didn't get killed. It was more just kind of let down. We just laid down and died. 
That was more the scenario in that game. 23-10 was not, it was not a beatdown by any stretch of the measure. We just didn't score, and Watson didn't look good in the most important times. Sounds like a real fizzle out of an ending. It really was. No, it really was. Well, Burrow also threw a pick in the fourth quarter in that game as well. I remember the defense was huge in that game. Yeah, I mean, obviously, well, you hold them to ten points. But again, though, the penalties on that on, on that drive in the first in the uh, first quarter for Cincinnati, they don't score that touchdown if not for those penalties. And it was just uh, early on, early on, you just knew the Browns were going to have issues. You knew they were going to have issues. That was a really that Monday night Halloween game, though. That was a beatdown. Absolute beatdown. We had James on there. You can use the Odyssey Rewind function. And, and you know, James is a good friend of mine, and so anytime he comes in, usually we'll, we'll hang out and we'll see each other and all that. And I didn't get to see him this last time he came in for the Bengals game. And I saw him in the press box, and I remember seeing him in the press box, and, and he came over to see where I was at, and we hung out for a little bit. And, and I just remember it just not even being a game at that point. And I remember thinking, like, it was, it was supposed to be the other way around for that game. We didn't quite know, but, but Jacoby Brissett got the better end of the Bengals. No doubt about that. And, th- and that was one of the better defensive games that Joe Woods had put together. For some reason, Joe Woods couldn't coach to save his life, but he could coach against the Bengals. But I'm thinking about that Michael Irvin quote. You know, confidence is like money. It's great when you have it, but you, it, you know... When you have it and lose it, though, it's hard to get back again. It's great when you have it, but if you have it and lose it, it's hard to get back again. Confidence is like money. That's what he always says, right? I feel like the Browns against the Bengals, we just have this air of confidence that we don't have against other big-time teams. There's just something about the Browns versus the Bengals. And listen, I, I... you know, James is coming from a position of being in a, around a team that has what I believe to be the second best quarterback in the game mixed with what I believe to be one of the best receiving trios you have in the game and a Bengals team that has been to the Super Bowl and back-to-back AFC title games. Hell, there's a part of me that wants to rename the AFC title game the Joe Burrow-Patrick Mahomes Invitational if it happens a third time because it seems like it's happening every year. Back-to-back years of watching those two go at it in the AFC title game for a trip to the Super Bowl makes you want to rename things. But for some reason, this Browns team, I'm not quite there where Michael Bohm is and where this caller we had a couple days ago is, where they just they just thought we had so much confidence in the, in the matchup that there was something figured out. I'm not quite there. I do wonder, though, if one of the disadvantages of getting rid of Joe Woods is the idea that maybe Joe Woods wasn't the greatest defensive coordinator and bringing over that Vic Fangio defense, that quarters coverage defense that he did, that absolutely got the Browns destroyed a multitude of times. It was so good when Staley ran it in 2020 with the Rams, and it was so awful when the Browns tried to do it here because it's complex, there's a lot to it. But the idea of that quarters coverage is to shut down really good quarterbacks of what they do best, and... Really good quarterbacks just found ways around it is basically the point. But I wonder if Joe Burrow just never did. And I wonder if part of Joe Woods leaving, one of the one of the rare few advantages. How about you bullet point this uh, this comment until we get closer and closer to this game? One of the few advantages Joe Woods actually had is that Joe Woods could stop the Bengals. Joe Woods knew how to stop the Bengals. He did. Joe Burrow was human. Against Joe Woods. I give Joe Woods credit for nothing in life. Absolutely nothing in life. I got to give him credit for that. He was garbage against a lot of teams. He knew how to play against the Bengals, though. 
No doubt about that. Oh, uh, Real Xavier P also brings up the idea that he says the Watson pick, the penalties. He says not doubling chase with the other guys hurt. Yeah. Okay. You're right. As much credit as I want to give Joe Woods for maybe figuring out the Cincinnati Bengals, because he still held him to 23 in that game. Not doubling chase and making the comments on Jamar Chase. That was a misstep. That was 100% a misstep. Not giving Jamar Chase the respect that Jamar Chase earned was 100% a misstep. Real Xavier P., you're smarter than that, though. You, you are smarter than that, though. I, I would imagine you knew the D.C. was getting fired well before that because we've been talking about it for a very long time, and, and you're, pretty, you're pretty astute with your observations. So I would imagine, I would imagine you knew Joe Woods was going to have an issue there. I, the AFC North is, I, you know, I, it's got to be one of the funnest divisions in football, especially this offseason, though. Between the Lamar Jackson conversations we get to have, and we had some yesterday, you can go online and you can, uh, wherever you can follow us and use 923thefan.com, go to the show page section. Anywhere you go within the AFC North, it's just a fun time. You can go to the Bengals and talk about Joe Burrow. Then you can go to the Ravens and talk about Lamar Jackson. Pittsburgh, I don't know what's going on with them right now. I really don't. I don't buy into the Kenny Pickett hype. I just, if fewer touchdowns and interceptions last year, I make the baby hands jokes. I talk about buying the Diet Coke can size, the, the, the Kenny Pickett versions, the, the tiny little baby ones. I, I make all the jokes in the world at Kenny Pickett's expense. I don't know what to make of him because there's a lot of Steelers fans out there that suggest that Mike Tomlin didn't let that man fly. They out him back until the very end of games and then unleashed him, and there's so much more left inside of him that we just haven't seen. I'll wait until I see it. Wait until I see it. But uh, whoever finishes last in this division, it's going to be really interesting to find out. All right, 216-474-0092. we got Mike Gold Jr. coming up at 10 o'clock. Guardians game right now is, uh, it's been an interesting one. The debut of Gavin Williams has not gone exactly the way that many people had projected or expected. That's okay. That happens. I'm not going to make a big deal about it. As long as you don't make a big deal about it, I'm not going to make a big deal about it. There's a lot of pitchers in big league history that have sucked on their opening day. And I'm going to make this point later on, but I'll share it with you guys right now. Tom Glavin, absolutely atrocious on opening day. Had a Hall of Fame career. You just you can't make too much out of one game. You really can't. We'll see how it all wraps up, though, and we'll talk about it when it's done. Mike Gold Jr. coming your way at 10 o'clock. We'll ask him about that question between the quarterback, running back, wide receiver trios. But we come on back. All right, Ryan Day said what I wanted Gene Smith to say. We'll do it next right here on The Fan. Exciting jewelry buying opportunity is happening right now at Diamonds Direct. Pick any jewelry item and get up to five years. All right, back out of here on the fan. Now we got to say it on the air. Yeah, we got to. No, it feels like too much of a ripoff now. I just. Dang it. Dang it, dang it, dang it. He and Michael Bone were talking between the break, and he was making a suggestion about putting on rally caps as the Guardians are getting things rolling. And then uh, when eventually at some point when we get uh, the video stuff set up here at the fan and get everything all rocking and, and ready to go that way, you know, I was I was telling him, I'm like, oh, well, there, there's a sports radio show 
Dan Webitar. Dan Webitar dresses up as like Halloween costumes, and then he goes on camera, and then that's all. That's all it is, right? So he dresses up as like Darth Maul, and then we'll do the entire sports radio show as Darth Maul, and then before you know it, this is how ideas happen, right? You're thinking of different things, and then you're like, wait. Ultimately, we're just going to co-opt the Dan Webitard show. We cannot do that. But I want to be the first one at the station to do wacky, crazy things if we have this set up properly. And it, it fits my personality best. You see, a lot of other shows can do the wacky, crazy bits like that, and it's just not me. It's a lot of it that isn't me. I'm not a chant guy, for instance. Like, you want to start a chant? I'll join in on a chant, but I'm not going to be the guy to start a chant. There's certain things I just can't do. But I would, like, my personality 100% fits perfect to the idea of wearing the mask from Scream while then telling you a very serious Deshaun Watson, what does it mean for Andrew Berry's future take? Can you tell me that isn't just high? To me, that's high comedy. To me, that, like, it doesn't beat it. Wearing a Winnie the Pooh costume and then talking about how the Cavs have to make a deal to land player X, Y, or Z to get past the Knicks in the first round of the postseason. Like that's, that's perfect to me. How do I make myself the first on the, on this station to, to really plant my flag on that one? Cause if I don't do it now, I'm going to wake up one day, Ken and Anthony will have done it and I'll be left in the dust. You don't even have to do a lot. It could just be like one tiny detail that's just like, wait. Is he wearing that? I need to make it obvious. I need to make it. The first time needs to be extremely, extremely vocal and extremely obvious. But it can't be like a, a clown nose or something like that where people are like, oh, JP wearing the clown nose. Of course he is. It's got to be something that you think to yourself, wow, they did something in a previous segment here. I don't know what they did, but I need to find out what they did. And in reality, we didn't do anything. I just showed up to work dressed like Winnie the Pooh. I got to get this done. I got. If I don't do this, the morning show is 100% going to do it, and then I'm going to get upset months later when they end up doing it, and they're going to get all sorts of credit for it, and I'll be like, dang it, dang it, dang it, dang it. This is, uh, this is, this is coming in hot all over again, where I once proposed coming in hot to the bosses that be years ago, and they basically, they didn't laugh in my face because they don't laugh at my ideas, but they basically laughed in my face and told me to get out of the office. And then you fast forward and it's like, hey, coming in hot. How about we do this thing where we just don't screen radio calls and put them right on the air and make it a segment? And I'm like, okay. All right. But, hey, I don't harbor any feelings that way. I'm okay with it. They do it better than I could have. I'm perfectly fine with how they do it. I like that they. I like that somebody's doing it. In fact, at the time... I only had I only had the Sunday show. Wouldn't have worked anyway. If I'm being truthful about it, wouldn't have worked. At, uh, yeah, I wanted to do it anytime I filled in anywhere though. But uh, you know, they've earned that leash that I have not earned. Although I think maybe I have at this point. But at the time, I had not earned that leash. Okay, we'll get to the Guardians as soon as that wraps up. We got to get to Mike Golick Jr. at ten o'clock off the beaten path. Nine o'clock hour fan focus in the nine o'clock hour. We what I'm telling you is we got a lot of things happening. A lot, of, a lot of spinning plates and a lot of things up in the air right now and a lot of things in the works. James Rapine joined us at 8 o'clock, Odyssey Rewind. Go back and listen to that. But I want to talk to you guys about what's going on in Ohio State, mainly because a couple different reasons. I feel like me and Michael Bohm get into this discussion, I don't know, once every couple weeks, we end up on a nice Ohio State and, and, and the importance of Ohio State doing Ohio State things, mainly because I feel like as you guys know this, I am not an Ohio State fan. I've never tried to be an Ohio State fan. I've always appreciated Ohio State. I do watch every Ohio State game, mainly because if there ever is a time that it comes up, 
I want to be informed on it. And plus, I got nothing going on in Saturdays in the fall. Golf occasionally, but that's usually in the morning in the fall. I know it's it's time for football. Let's be honest about it. Saturdays and Sundays in the fall, it's time for football. Sun up to sundown. If I if I could do it that way, I would. Fortunately for my golf game, doesn't start till about one o'clock. So I invest a lot of time in Ohio State football, but I don't bleed Ohio State football to the point where I was the one telling you guys before the Georgia game, C.J. Stroud was undraftable in my opinion. If I had a board, he was not on my board, and I still maintain that take today. The Rutgers game was too much for me. I'm sorry, guys. You can't let Rutgers do that to you. Maryland game, another. You just can't let those two teams do that to you. You just, you just can't. I know you, you want to tell me the Northwestern game was in a hailstorm. Fine, that's okay. Whatever, doesn't matter to me. Ultimately, he showed me something in that playoff game that I hadn't yet seen before. Still undraftable to me, but that's neither here nor there. The point is, I've always believed that a national title means more than the Michigan game, but I know how much the Michigan game matters. Gene Smith, Buckeyes AD, said this about was this like three weeks ago, somewhere in that somewhere in that range, three four weeks ago. He was talking about Ryan Day. He was talking about the the playoff, and he was talking about beating Michigan. This is what he had to say. Yeah, I haven't really talked specifically about Michigan. Uh, you know, we we have a lot of other games before we we get to them. So uh, right now, you're focused more on developing your roster and developing your your team. Uh, a lot of different issues uh, that we talk about relative to the organization. So we focus more on you know just getting ready for Indiana because that's our first contest. Uh, the team up north game won't matter a whole lot if we go over and, and not do what we're supposed to do in, in uh, Bloomington. So we got to take care of business there. Uh, just, you know, how confident are you in, in Ryan Day, the staff uh, around him and everything like that, that, you know, the Buckeyes can can turn things around in this rivalry after uh, a couple losses here in a row to Michigan? Yeah, you know, it's so funny. I, you know, everybody's so focused on, you know, just one game. And, uh, you know, we were basically one point away from being in a national championship game. And I think had we won, uh, got that two points we needed to convert and, and ultimately uh, play TCU, who I feel confident we would have performed against well and won a national championship. I'm not so sure about all this chatter. So <laughs> at the end of the day, I, I want to win the biggie. I want to win the natty. Whatever it takes to get there, I'm going. I'm all in for it. So uh, we were in position to do that, and and uh, you know, really proud of our guys. They they had a chance there. There's some some questionable moments in that game. We won't get into it, but at the end of the day, uh, we had a shot, and uh, I'm really proud that they they put themselves in position to to possibly uh, win the CFP. Now, and that was courtesy of 11 Warriors. And you, you think when you hear that, you're like, oh, wow, he's not, he's not putting any emphasis on, on Michigan. Uh, on that game in particular, he's putting all the emphasis on the college football playoff. And I agree, the college football playoff and the national championship does matter more than Michigan. But you have to treat Michigan way more important than you do week one against Indiana. I, Jim Harbaugh is not attacking this season. Hell, he didn't attack any part of last season in the construction of his roster as if to beat Indiana. He constructed his entire roster to beat Ohio State. That's why he was able to do it. And he constructed this roster that he currently has coming back with all these players to beat Ohio State. He's not even constructing it to win the national title. He, his sole objective is to beat Ohio State, and he's been successful in the previous couple years. And he knows Michigan fans a decade from now are going to thank him, and they're going to say thank you for making that game matter again. 
because for two decades we got de-pantsed and it didn't matter. And so Ryan Day came out with an interview in ESPN, and Ryan Day came out and he put a lot of credit on that game. Said you can't lose that game. 11-2 and finish, that included a college football playoff semi-appearance. He says, quote, you can't lose that game, especially the game twice. So Ryan Day knows, and, and Michael, you're the biggest Buckeye fan I know, I appreciate that Ryan Day acknowledged that, uh, you know, this isn't all of a sudden the tax layer bowl. It's that you're taking on Michigan. This is an important thing. And that mindset was kind of lost for a brief period after uh, a few coaches after Woody Hayes, but Jim Trussell brought it back. Uh, from the day he was introduced at that Ohio State basketball game against the team up north at halftime, when he gave, when he counted down the days, uh, till the next game that they, when, uh, when that team up north came down to Columbus. Uh, that being said, I think that Ryan, Urban Meyer put an emphasis on that, and I think that Ryan Day has always sort of tried to carry that. Whether the results show that, obviously is a different story, but he is always in interviews, and you see it emphasized here again. He's always put a, a lot of uh, priority on that game. He knows how important it is as far as the welfare of his job security. Yeah, I mean, you can't lose. You can't lose to Michigan. Honestly, that's why the, the new conference realignment and what they're doing there with uh, with taking away the divisions kind of scares me for any future Ohio State head coach because and I, for, there's a couple things I hate about it. First off, it's very, very hard to win in back-to-back weeks against any college program. That's just how that operates. It's very hard for Ohio State to be Michigan and then Michigan to then beat Ohio State a week later. The game itself gets devalued, but you could have a, an experience at a time where you'd have the Ohio State-Michigan game, and then because the two teams would have the top record in the Big Ten, like what would have happened last year, they meet a week later in the Big Ten title game. If you lose both those games back-to-back against Michigan... That in and of itself, in my estimation, is a fireball offense. Ryan Day got lucky in a lot of ways that he did take on Georgia and the college football playoff split, uh, split up those two, and so they, they didn't end up meeting there. Now, again, I say lucky loosely because he might have wanted that smoke, and if, if C.J. Stroud looked anything like he did against Georgia, probably would have gone in their favor. Probably would have gone in their favor. But if he lost that game, I, I could have not only made a valid reasoning for firing him, I think it would have been expected of the fan base to then have his head, to have him fired. But I think a lot of this is fascinating. I love that Ryan Day came out and put the emphasis, Michael, put the emphasis on this Michigan game and isn't treating it like it's week six against Indiana. Yeah, these guys are taking no time off. He's uh, in that article by uh, courtesy of Heather Dinich. I thought it was a great article, very insightful. Um you see him working side by side with Jim Knowles. They found like 16 to 20 plays that changed the course of the season um, all throughout the year, just because they were getting killed on the huge explosion plays time and time again. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so I think that they they realize there's a sense of urgency here, and you there are some important games that you really need to finish strong on this season. And six against Michigan, ten against Georgia, a plays of at least 20 yards. I mean, that's inc- that's incredible. Absurd. You, you can't have that many big plays allowed. It's inexcusable. And Knowles, he, his defense looked great on so many occasions. It was just they would get exposed in these huge moments on those big plays. And it was really turned up like several notches in those last two. Yeah, and I know these are just words, and I get it. But it's nice to know that the head coach has the same mentality that I have, okay? It's nice to know that his expectations, when you guys clap back at me and say, Jonathan, you're, you have too high of expectations for that program, you're expecting too much. It's nice to know that the head coach is at least aligned with my thought process on it as well. you got to beat Michigan. You should be winning national titles. 
You got to finish the job. And I, I like that. Gene Smith said in that very article because we we this started with uh with the quote that he had where he was really giving the politically correct answer. Frankly, um, he called Ryan Day the CEO of this team, and so at the end of the day, I think that's the guy that you that's the word that you really want to follow. But in turn, though, this is why this is dangerous and why a lot of coaches don't do this is that in turn I get to then if it doesn't go well, I get to bring these back up. If it doesn't go well, I get to I get to throw these right back in your face. That is part of the rules. That's why a lot of coaches don't say things like what Ryan Day said. I get to bring these back up if things aren't going well. And you better believe I keep receipts. 100% I keep receipts on these type of things. All right. Hey, guys, make it easy this summer to follow our show and any Cleveland team. Simply download the Odyssey app. Follow Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin or one of the team names in town. You're going to get direct access to clips, show reminders, and so much more. Use the Odyssey app to listen to us no matter where you are, including your smart speakers, by saying, play 92.3 The Fan. We come on back. We'll get you to The Fan Focus. It's Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin here with you on The Fan.